we are playing a game where the androids are talking to the machines saying you're meaningless. The machines are talking to the androids like, why are you doing any of this? What's your point? Why? Are you, what's your purpose? Why are you doing this? And then we are sitting down <laughs> like playing a video game, mm-hmm. um, which culturally is viewed as a is viewed as a waste of time. Yeah. yeah. So there's like a threefold aspect to yeah, this <laughs> <right>. <laughs> that goes all the way back to the player itself, where it's so fun. What's up? Welcome back to the State of the Arc podcast. My name is Mike. And my name's Kason. We're here to talk about the B playthrough of Near Automata today. That is where we played up to is the B ending. Um, this we're not sure yet kind of whether this is going to end up being two or one episode. It, it could yeah, go we'll either see. way. Um, so here's the plan. If we end up going two episodes on this, then things will continue as regularly scheduled next week. Yes. If they do not, there will be a one-week break for near automata, and we will release a different sh- a different thing in between. Probably end up being Pan's Labyrinth. Pan's Labyrinth, yeah. Which is something we've already done on Patreon, uh, but it will be going public. Because I will not be here. I'm going to be gone for the next, like, 12 days. So, um, in any case, if we get two out of this, then it'll just be regularly scheduled program. So, we're going to find out. So, anything you wanted to say before no. we get started right with, like, the first thing you see in B playthrough? Um, no, I don't. Nothing from well, last week or corrections <laughs> or notes or anything like that? I don't think so. I don't think so <laughs> they'll, they'll just show up as, as we go. Yeah, I think we're good. So I, I really liked the way they opened this up. Oh, me too. Like With the lot. robot? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the two robots. It, it, was, it was really good. Like, 9S is sort of observing this behavior. Just, like, not yeah. caring. Just, yeah. like, watching. Just watching. Passively it. commenting. We don't know that until after yeah. the scene kind of concludes. But, mm-hmm. like, it, it first appears that you're taking over the role of one of the machines. So there's one machine seeming to emulate the concept of mourning over a dead brother. Yeah. No, I'll, uh, you'll be fine. I'll bring you back to life. You you take control of this machine as it Mm -hmm. hops over and puts some some oil oil. in a bucket, tries to pour it on the dead machine to like wake him back up. Mm -hmm. And, uh, then we cut to nine S who says, um, it doesn't matter how much oil you give him, little guy. You can't make a machine your brother. Now, that's not the way I expected me, the second half of that too. idea to go. Right. I th- you would expect him to say, no matter how much oil you give him, little guy, he's not coming back to life. Right. Or you can't fix him or something yes. like that. But no, it, it's you can't make a machine your brother. That was an interesting way of phrasing that. It was. It was. Um, I feel like it's a parallel for something for the androids. Um, I put in my notes that I was going to come back to it a little bit later. Um, but maybe we could... Nah, well, let's just talk about it a little bit later. Okay. I don't know if we want to go into it right now, but there's a big parallel. It's just not what 9S thinks, right? Yeah. Um, but he, what he perceives as meaningless action, um, he's going to have to confront that himself. Right. Later in this B playthrough, right. I think. Yeah. Yeah, um, I guess a sort of a prelude to where this is going here, since everyone should have finished through the B ending at this point. Yeah. Um, and we talked about it a little bit even last time, that at the end of ending A, he ends up 
his personality, his consciousness ends up in the machine network. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We sort of touched on how this is uh, the callback to the Coca-Cola commercial, his way of sort of like touching hands with the other, right? Yeah. The others, the enemies, and sort of yep. understanding them in a way that you can't otherwise. Like mm -hmm. he actually is a part of their network. And yeah, so yeah. there's going to be several little... Um, sort of animated sequences in between levels and bosses throughout playthrough B where 9S narrates sort of some of the history, the culture, the lore, the motivations, the yeah. um, ideals of these machines. Kind of in, in between scenes, right? yes. like in between chapters. Yeah, pretty much. And so the way I sort of interpreted this was this is him now understanding the machines a lot better that he's a part of their network. He yeah. sees these bits of context that you didn't otherwise. And that's kind of what B playthrough is really all about. It's about you're doing the same events, but you're now going to kind of flip the coin and see the other side of it and, yeah. and understand those events or interpret those events differently when you have a better view of what the machines are doing and why and mm -hmm. what level of consciousness they have or don't, and why are they trying to have it, and their evolution, and all kinds of things. Yeah. So while, like we said last time, there is a lot of repeating the same areas and events and bosses and things, um, there actually was a bit more than even I remembered as far as divergence and yeah. new story Well, especially content. basically the, the whole second half. Yeah. Like 9S is almost completely somewhere else. And any time that uh, in a playthrough, you were kind of just doing some menial, just like the equivalent of just level grinding, you're just beating a bunch of bosses or whatever. The the 9S playthrough tends to just be sped up. Yeah, it's a lot you're faster. You're just hearing all the dialogue. It all just goes by very quickly. And that's exemplified very well here at the very beginning um, at this, um, what's it called? The, the machine industrial factory, abandoned factory. Machine factory, factory. yeah. Yeah. Um, <coughs> 9S is just chilling, going through this like tunnel while all the dialogue happens. And then a, um, sorry, 2B is like, oh no, I need your help. And then it's like, boom, we got to go help her and then come mm -hmm. back and do whatever we're doing. Uh, yeah. I like the way that they did it though. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. I like it quite a lot. And like I said, uh, even last time, um, first time I played the game, I didn't really appreciate B playthrough very much. I was kind of annoyed by the repetition of it. Now I like it a lot, uh, yeah. for, for many reasons, but. Um, it was just different enough. Yeah, exactly. So after he, you know, says that line about can't make a machine your brother, he looks up in the sky, sees the squad that yep. that 2B had come with at the beginning of the game. They're sort of approaching. He's like, okay, well, it looks like it's time. So his job is to sort of infiltrate the factory and shut down or disable all of its defense systems Yeah. so that those other Yorha units can get in and take out this Goliath that they're that they've been assigned to destroy you do a lot more hacking here yes. I, I really i really liked it yes. um it's so fun it's it's very arcade style even the music changes yes it's a little yes. like 8-bit like mm -hmm. kind of crunchy yeah and you're just kind of going along just as if you're playing i don't know excite bike or something <laughs> 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 what, what would a good example be i don't really have one um but yeah then the game like style maybe just changes space invaders or sure. a shooter of that kind yeah. and then it becomes very just like arcade style yeah. And super, super fun. I love yeah, it. I wrote that down as a note. I really like the adaptive soundtrack as you go between hacking and fighting. So it's the same yeah. music. It's yeah, same just music. sort of chip-tuned. It's not really chip-tuned. It's just 
it sounds a little more, it has more square and triangular sounding yes, yes, uh, yeah. uh, instruments that are used. But I actually, this reminded me to bring something up that I had forgotten to talk about earlier in the game too, was it's not just here that they kind of do this. They, they've also introduced this kind of thing with the soundtrack with say the, this cannot continue line from oh, all yeah. the robots. Mm -hmm. So while you're fighting Adam in that boss fight, you, this cannot continue is worked into the music too. Oh, and, interesting. And they've done that a few different times. Mm. They, they, they do really clever ways. They sort of incorporate like uh, dialogue or, or some soundscape from like what's mm. happening in the story, like kind of weaves into the music. And I, I like the way that they do this too with the hacking. I think it's pretty cool. And yeah, there, there's a lot more hacking this time. In fact, I think the only time the hacking minigame even occurred in the A playthrough was when Simone, which is the boss fight, the, the lady in the amusement park. The dressed up girl, yeah. Yeah. So when she tries to hack you and it's more like a defense against her trying to hack you. Ah, uh, right. right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But now it's more proactive. We're yeah. going to be using it like constantly. Yes. Like on, basically yeah. every big fight. Yeah. And this essentially allows 9S to get, this is like the way they're using the story as a mechanism to give you more context. Yeah. He knows more about the machines, not only because he ends up like becoming part of the network, but because he was hacking all of these enemies all along and sort of like yeah. getting data directly from them in the yeah. fights. So all the names that had before been sort of jumbled characters in angelic script right yeah now they're just written in english and you just know yeah. what their names are so um for instance as you get to the goliath boss yeah, here yeah. at the end of this you learn that its name is engels engels and, and this yeah. is true for the other goliath same type enemy type you fight later in the the middle of the city yeah, yeah. um it's just called engels and so this is a reference to the philosopher friedrich engels who yeah. was a friend and colleague of Karl Marx. Karl they worked Marx. together on yeah. their philosophy of Marxism. Um, and I was really trying to find out or think of a reason why he would have named that particular enemy that name. Well, and hmm. this goes all the way back to our playthrough and analysis of the first Nier game where sometimes <laughs> it was quite clear like yeah. why he had named something, uh, used the reference. And sometimes yeah. it was just because he's just calling out something he liked or just... Like Wendy. Yeah, it just, it, there wasn't yeah. really a story reason. He just, that's a story I like. I'm just going to throw that name just in there. Just throw the name in thing. That might be the case here. Just to mess with people. But the only connection that I could really find with Angles and any of the other philosophers that we know were intentional to have like a story reason mm -hmm. for being in the game is that Engels and Marx obviously talked a lot about uh, class disparity yeah. and uh, you know owner ownership of private property owner and property ownership rights yeah. things like that right yeah, and yeah. and how this created inequality mm -hmm. and Simone de Beauvoir in particular was critical of Engels but I guess also Marx for, yeah. for that being a surface level explanation of why women in particular were sort of subjugated throughout history 
Um, mm-hmm. and, and she tries to say this doesn't account for other things that are really important, childbirth and just their sex in general and other things. So I may or may not talk more about that later, depending on how much, because <laughs> I, I read the second sex. <laughs> oh, nice. And it's, it's really good. There's a lot of really good stuff in there, but I don't know how much. I'm kind of overwhelmed by how much of it there is, yeah. and there might end up just being that much of it that I actually use to apply to yeah. the character Simone from the game, That's, which could yeah. have been intentional because as, uh, as Yoko Taro says, like he's not, he claims to have not really like read this or be that <laughs> educated on philosophy. Yeah. He's just like armchairing it on the to- <laughs> toilet, sharing <laughs> it toilet, on toilet <laughs> reading like, w- you know, philosophy one one type books to get yeah. his stuff. So that could yeah. be the case. But anyway, so in that case, a lot of these philosophers, it's not that they would be based on the entirety of the, yes. their namesake. Yeah. It is just like maybe they're based on one sentence yeah. of what the person wrote. Uh, like, or or possibly even, um, well, I'm not going to name this one yet, but there, there is a character in this game where it's like it's, it's actually not embodying his idea, but rather, or how he felt about yeah. it, but rather it's, it's showing the result of what he claimed was wrong with it. And he's he, the character mm-hmm. is used as a figurehead of that, why, whereas that character would have obviously like denounced that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's it's like it, it, his name is only there because the yeah. concept is it, it says his. It has something to do with yeah. the name, right? Yeah. It doesn't mean that they are or that they embody it or that they maybe yeah. they're the anti- anti- antithesis of it. Yeah. Sure. It, it's very loose in that sense. Hmm. And so I think, I, I don't know why. Other than the fact that De Beauvoir calls out Engels directly in The yeah. Second Sex and says, like, mm. you didn't go far enough with this. This is surface level. That's literally the only connection I can see to anything. Hmm. Anybody else has an idea of why this freaking Goliath boss is called Engels? <laughs> Feel free to share. I w- uh, just the, the connection to a factory, to, like, an that, industrial that factory. Yeah. And then it's Engels, and he's, he's the worker you think of machinery as something like a slave, right? The yeah. machinery works for you so you don't have to work. And that was at least part of Marx's, I don't. I really don't know much about Engels, but I'll, <laughs> I'll just say Marx's critique of the the bourgeois, the, what do you call it? The owner, the owner class, the elite, yeah, right? right? How they would get all the money, but then the workers did all the work, right? So yeah. now you've got this machine that does all the work, probably doesn't get much of the credit, despite being the big machine that does all the work. That's what I got. Could be. It fits. It works. Um, Okay, so this more or less goes the same way, but there are are a couple of differences. Um, You actually do the hacking on the Goliath this time to take over its systems and have the missiles come back and attack it. And then uh, when 9S kind of gets knocked down and damaged and Tubi goes back out to try to finish the Goliath off, there are some mm. machines that come yeah. at him that he sort of, it's it's the pod, the pod that you're controlling yeah. that sort of shoots him and fights him off while I think 9S hacks again. Yeah, um, there's a few times where 9S is kind of just unconscious and it shows when he's unconscious, it shows him in that kind of like hacking state, right? Yeah. Where there's like a little pathway and you're just kind of like the little arrow. You just kind of got to move around. Yeah. Um, but sometimes you'll hear things from the outside world like he would hear to be, but it would be all garbled. Yeah. And then he'd, he'd wake up and realize, oh, sh- here she is. Yeah. 
and I kind of liked too how, and they do this a couple different times through this uh, this nine S sort of perspective playthrough where he's like knocked out or otherwise disabled, and he's like re-engaging his systems again, like yeah, almost like yeah. he's booting up. Yeah, so he's like, like going that. to like the memory diagnostics and the visual right. systems and turning them back on one by one, kind of a thing. <laughs> I love. <laughs> Which I thought was kind of cool. I love how similar. His, his like um, the way that his operating system works, yeah. I guess the way he navigates through it, um, how similar it is to Jurassic Park. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> when Lex is like hacking in, and it's like yeah, visual, it's, like, it's a bunch of blocks. And I, I remember writing down the note what she called it. It was uh, this oh, is a geez. something a Unix a Unix, Unix, si- Unix. system. I know this. Yeah. She says. Right? <laughs> so apparently, uh, Unix is what Nine uh, S is running on too. I guess so. Nine S has a Unix operating yeah. system. I, um, I do have a few other notes, though, just from being, like, introduced to this stuff again. Yeah. Um, where 2B says emotions are prohibited. Yes. And then, and no ma'am either, right? Like, don't call mm-hmm. me, stop calling me ma'am. Yeah. Um, I did want to make a note of this in general with the Japanese. Um, she says this a little bit later on in the bunker as well. Like, stop calling me ma'am. Mm-hmm. In English, that has a different meaning than it did in Japanese. Basically, mm-hmm. it's just son or the honorific, like suffix like just the title mm-hmm. um, addressing somebody with a certain title and she's saying stop doing that right it doesn't have much to do with the the word ma'am necessarily but she's saying stop using honorifics and don't just say my name don't say to be son just say to be mm. and that's what she's that's what she's saying that makes sense yeah yeah so i mean honorifics would in in J- japanese yeah are or, I mean, obviously it's formal, but like formality is is a more expected thing than it is in English per se, right? Yeah. Like you're just going to treat even your elder by a couple of years with just one respect, year. yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, where I wouldn't call, and I, I guess that would be more like what the relationship of Tubi and Nine S is. It's yeah. like a or a what stranger. Do you call it? Like it's a, just how you talk to strangers too. What do you call it? Uh, like the upperclassman word. The mm. sen, not sen, uh, geez, what is that? Oh, word? Sem, sensei, senpai, what do you mean? Senpai. Senpai. That word. Yeah, yeah. Right. It would be yeah. like 2B is kind of like his senpai in a way. Yeah. Right. Sure. So yeah. he would use those honorifics with her. Um, Ma'am still works in oh, English. Oh, I'm not saying it doesn't work. Yeah, I'm not it's, saying that either. But I'm I just, think maybe the point I'm trying to draw is that ma'am is. It's um, just different. It's gendered in a way that Japanese is not. Uh, that's true. And also, um, it's more like Miss To Be, like Miss To Be, M I S S, right? Miss To Be. That would make well, maybe it wouldn't make more sense. I'm not saying they translated it wrong. I'm just yeah. saying that in the Japanese, um, it's it's not gendered in particular, and it would mean something more like Miss To Be instead well, of. Um, yeah, know, and ma'am. I was I was also thinking that the her insistence on not using that would be seen as maybe culturally sort of um well different than saying don't call me uh, man. like yes. don't be don't be formal with me is a more common thing to expect an english yeah, person yeah, to yeah. do than a japanese person right yeah whereas a japanese person would be uh, as part of their culture it's sort of more accepted more expected i guess that you would do that so it'd yeah. be more surprising to have somebody say don't do don't that. do that which it yeah, and then this also makes a little bit more sense with Nine S later on when Nine S is saying like, "Hey, call me Nines." Um, 
it wasn't so much because I had interpreted it earlier that she was saying like, no, I'm not like, let's not be informal. But she's the one who initiated the informalness by, by saying this. That's true. When she says, don't call me ma'am, it's specifically saying, don't speak so formally to me. Like in part, don't use honorifics. Um, Mm -hmm. Whereas then, then 9S just tries to take it further is the issue with 9S. Then he tries to go into like maybe a more slang, maybe using cutesy fake names, right? Like uh, she's not having any of that, but she doesn't want to speak in terms of the culture. She's kind of bucking the trend and saying like, just don't worry about that. Yeah, right. So that's good. That makes sense. Okay, so otherwise things... There's no meaning to what behind what machines do. Yes, <clears throat> I love hearing these lines again. Yes, right. It's really good. That, that, that yeah, I have a new appreciation for the second the B playthrough. It's yeah, like, with the context you get by the end of that, it's it and all then to go back, it all hits different. It does, and it feels yeah. weird, and it's like ah, oh, Nines, you don't know, man, you don't know what's happening. Right. Um, but I also feel kind of like um. The the machines could, and maybe later on do, say the same thing about the androids, where it's like, yep. why are you doing this? Like, they don't understand the androids at all. Yeah. Like, stop killing us. Stop it. What are you doing? <laughs> and then the androids are like, you started it or whatever. Like, we're going to kill you. But both of them see the other side as kind of exhibiting meaningless behavior. Yes. Right? Um, and it's really funny because this is a video game, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're playing a game where the androids are talking to the machines saying you're meaningless. The machines are talking to the androids like, why are you doing any of this? What's your point? Why are you, what's your purpose? Why are you doing this? And then we're sitting down like playing a video game, mm-hmm. um, which culturally is viewed as a is waste, of, as a waste time of time. Yeah. yeah. So there's like a threefold aspect to yeah, this right. <laughs> <laughs> that goes all the way back to the player itself where it's so funny that the machines are like, why are you doing this? Makes no sense. And then the androids are like, huh, those machines, they don't know anything. But then we as the player are like, ha ha, these video game characters, they're just doing whatever I tell them to do. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, it goes all the way back to you. I think well, it's funny. Uh, you could even take it a step further than that. Whereas yeah. the people accusing the player of wasting their oh, time geez. or being meaningless, it's it like, could, <laughs> there is no meaning any, well, what is meaning anyways what is of the, life? Yes, sure, what, sure. Is, what is what is purpose? What is meaning? <laughs> How do you even define that? I mean, it goes up again. So. And then those people think the cr- the critiques, if you're just a critic, then what are you doing? Yeah. What are, what are critics doing? Like, seriously. Yeah. Like, right. what are critics do? What are they doing with their life? Like, what's the point? <laughs> oh, no, I don't like this art. Oh, no. So yeah. anyways, or I don't like what you're doing. Okay. So then you can critique, critique the critic mm-hmm. and then you can critique the critique of the critic. Yep. It just, just keeps going forever. None of it. <laughs> does any of it matter? None of I it shouldn't say none of it. Anyone. I should say, does any of it matter? That's, That's the, the real question. question there you right? go. That uh, we're looking at here. Yeah. And then um, when he was unconscious, everything just like got all garbled, which we already talked about. But it's so interesting seeing um, the ending of the scene from Nines's perspective because yeah. he's not supposed to remember this. Yes. So when I first talked. I actually thought about that. Okay, good. I was like, when, would it have been better to have started in I the bunker? I thought they were going to do that. Yeah. Or I thought they were going to go halfway through the mission and then he would stop or yeah, whatever it was. I thought we were going to start at, at a different point. Yeah. But they didn't do that. They let us play through his, even though those memories were completely lost. Yeah. Um, it's still useful because we learned some interesting things. Uh, yes. But it's interesting that uh, that they chose to do it that way. Yeah, I was thinking about that. I was like, wouldn't it have been more appropriate to have just started the 9S playthrough in the bunker waking up? Yeah. Because he doesn't remember. But at the same time, there is added context there and is. value in seeing it again yeah. from his perspective where it doesn't bother me that they did it this way. I think yeah, it's fine. But it was a thought that passed through my head like, oh, maybe they could have started here, but, you know, whatever. Um, I do like, though, 
how he's sort of standing there by the maintenance bed, you know, telling mm. her all the same instructions. Yeah, yeah. On how to like boot up and stuff. And she says something to him like, I'm fine, 9S. There's something calming about your voice. I didn't remember that in the oh. A playthrough. I, it probably happened. I just no, didn't take note of it, it did. because. I remember it, um, yeah. It didn't seem important at the time. Right. Now that we know how much Tubi yeah. likes her, if that's, oh. It's and then deal. we get his thoughts about, oh, my pulse rate is rising, <laughs> you know. Okay, it went back Holy down. crap, like I'm what's good, happening, right? He's he's all flattered and flustered by yeah. that. So but what like was that. funny is that you got to say that at, in the A playthrough as Tubi. Uh, but then once again, even though you're controlling 9S, you still oh, control. You're right. You it's still a, get to control option. what Tubi says. Yes. But you're playing as 9S That's this time. right. That's right. Oh, it was good. I, yeah. I thought that was interesting. I forgot that that was one of the choices. It's one of the three. Yes, yeah. no, or. Your voice. Your voice sounds silly. <laughs> something like that, yeah. Which is great. Uh, it, it, I thought it was interesting that 9S has a different operator that he reports to. It's not the same yeah. girl that 2B talks to, right? Oh, and they're polar opposites. Total. So 2B's <laughs> operator is like very emotional. Yeah. And uh, 9S's operator is the opposite, which yeah. is funny because 9S and 2B are kind of opposite. Yes. And so foils. they each have a voice in their mind that kind of pushes them towards like a a center you could yep. say almost something like the anima or animus right it's yep. almost like the opposite of what you are um that kind of speaks to you and kind of tempers you a little bit yeah makes you not go so far the other way and kind of brings you back you know yeah i, I feel like that was probably intentional here. this is kind of almost like a writing one-on-one -on -one -on -one thing too is yeah, yeah when you're going to uh create a cast of characters a really good way to give you really natural moments of conflict or at least very different perspectives is to do this is to match up your main character yeah. with a foil yeah so and you an know. easy way to do that is with the enneagram yeah or the color code or the what right. do you call it the myers-briggs um you can find the exact polar opposite yeah. of whatever the personality type is and you can write a new character in that way right and it makes for interesting it just moments. makes for interesting yeah. dialogue yeah. moments in between sort of your big uh, scenes and set pieces, yeah. uh, even in just in transitory sort of like scenes or whatever, because they can all look at things from a really different perspective. Really different, yeah. And you can you can also talk to a wider audience this way. Right, you can have this character who sort of represents this whole way of thinking about things and this one who represents this one. Yeah. So, you know, in, in the, the Witcher stories, in the novels, you get Dandelion as a foil <laughs> yeah, to right. Geralt. Yeah. Um, and and you'll, you'll see this all the time. And this is how you, you can really create um, interesting dialogue between characters. And they it did is. this with Tubi and 9S. They did this with their yeah. operators. They did this with Adam and Eve. They did, I mean, it's just all the time. It right? also can create a little bit of conflict. Yeah, conflict, which yeah. is what you need. It's which what makes what it people, interesting. Yep. Yep, exactly right. So I like that. Um, so, yeah, she's totally different. She's yeah. very formal. She doesn't like <laughs> anything unnecessary being added to no, the report no like i don't care yeah. about the weather like don't say that next time just <laughs> <laughs> just say the necessary part that's so funny and you know he tries to be like oh you know come on but anyway it's, it's, it makes for some interesting dialogue as you're just running from this place to this place you know which which i think is nice yeah um okay so I don't have any other notes until we get to the desert area oh, me with neither. Adam and Eve. 
Me neither. Yeah. Okay. So, well, I just have the mythology, I guess. Yeah, um, that's basically yeah. what I wrote here. So that's my okay, next perfect. note. So this is the first of, like I was saying earlier, many different sort of little animated sequences where these are narrated yeah. by 9S. And he's giving you some background on culture, lore, mythology, uh, personalities, mm. uh, personal motivations of different machines. Maybe history. History. But it's hard to read it all as strictly historical. Yes. But there is some element of, of historicity to what he's saying. Yeah. Although it's primarily conveyed in a way that's narrative or mythological. Right. And again, I feel like this is, um, though we've gone back in time to 9S at the beginning of the game now, mm. this is end of the game 9S narrating something after he's become ah. a part of the machine network. To like just add oh, some okay. context gotcha, gotcha. to this place because hmm. 9S, the character running around that we're controlling, can't give us he that context yet because he hasn't done the hacking or the good integrating point. yet. Yeah, good point. So that's kind of how I read these, right? I like that. So this first one is, once long ago a volcano erupted. From the fires of the eruption, a god emerged. One day the god appeared before the machines and said, consciousness, pain, joy, misery, fury, shame, desolation the future, the meaning of life. This one of all of these, I, I was like the most sort of confounded by. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it, it gives off an air yeah. like it's doing some kind of symbolic storytelling or something like yes, that. And or it's it has showing some... these pictures with these images that seem like they should be yeah. archetypal in some way, you know. But yes. they're actually kind of hard to read but and, and like, interpret. As it goes on, it just becomes more obvious that he's kind of just giving you some little piece of context behind. My favorite one, for instance, was the this the sea Goliath, the Leviathan. Yeah, that was robot, my, Yeah, I like that one. Where they contextualize that to be this thing's actually a child, as far as its I don't know personality or or, or experience or whatever. Yeah. And so it felt like it was trying to help and do its best, but like because it's this giant monster wreaking havoc everywhere, it's like, oh my gosh, it's too dangerous. We've got to seal it away, but it's just right. this little child. Yeah. So this one, I felt like, okay, there's probably this like sort of under the surface sort of meaning to this. Yeah. But really, uh, now that I look at it in context of the <laughs> others, I think this is just a religion or some mythology created by the machines. Oh, sure. To sort of to explain, retroactively explain something. their origins or their culture or something like that. This right. is not like a true event that happened necessarily. But I don't but know. E I, I couldn't then, really pull anything more than that. Even then, why would they pick a volcano? <laughs> and I don't know. I, um, oh, th th it's interesting to note, too, that all of these little vignette scenes, are, are take they take place around something that is directly relevant to that. Yes. Like we'll, we'll see one a little bit later that's about like a baby king. Basically, right. We'll see. We see the Leviathan one. Um, we see one that might be Adam holding a knife, talking yes. about having killed his parents. Um, we see a, a bunch of these, and this one, I don't. This one's just more general. I think this is more of like an introduction, like yeah. going way back, you know. Um, but like, why was it? And they're saying basically that the god that appeared talked to them and said that consciousness, pain, joy, misery, fury, shame, desolation, the future. And then it says the meaning of life. But I, I almost wonder if it's saying that all of those things are the meaning of life, mm. right? And it's saying, hey, you, you don't have life unless you have these things. And it's all the feelings. It's all the emotions. It's all of the, 
the six senses and, you know, things yeah. like that, the third eye stuff. I also wonder if maybe this is sort of representative of the machines themselves. Uh, maybe as they're becoming more conscious or as they're at least trying to, yeah. um, you know, you, you think of like uh, humankind, like at, at, at whatever sort of gradual point between the apes coming out of the trees and then in an agricultural society, <laughs> was there yeah. <laughs> a, a period in which they started to actually have the capability to think about their origins the and craft. the meaning of life and the purpose yeah. and all of that? And did and I that was probably yes. embodied yeah. in a religion first. Probably. Right? Okay, yeah. the concept of God. We were created by something. Right. It came down and gave us purpose. And this is like the machine version of that sort of, version of something origins like of their, not consciousness, because consciousness doesn't necessitate higher thinking, right. but the origins of their higher thinking right. resulting in a religion and like some trying to come up with some kind of meaning yeah. to life. I would say that a volcano, so, something erupting from a volcano it, it, it suggests that it came from the earth, right? So from the yeah. earth itself, that God came up upon a mountain from from the earth, right? Which is interesting because most of most people would say that God came down, right, from above. They're saying no, God. It seemed like God didn't exist, and then the volcano erupted, and God showed up mm. there. Now, there's a few ways that maybe something like this can happen. One of them is like the awe and the beauty. Like it could be that that was the moment where they saw a volcano erupt from a, a distance and it was just like a, a picture of like some, what would you call it? Just some, some like horrific beauty that they had just seen. That was just like the over completely overpowered them. And that made them feel like they just like witnessed a connection with like something transcendent. Right? Sure, yeah. And so it was like, Oh my gosh, this is it. Right. Um, and, also, but there, there's more to it than just that, but it would be like something essentially emerging from the earth. It says emerged, right? That something uh, from the fire, a God emerged and fire is heat and light. And that's basically what fire is. Yeah. Um, but that you, you see the light on top of a mountain, right? This is like with Moses, like when he gets the, the 10 commandments, there's like a lightning storm that's happening. Right. It's all like fiery and stuff. And so you get something very similar there. Uh, but I feel like maybe just something that can evoke that feeling, that, that response, at least in humans, is seeing something that's just so awe, awe, awesome, mm. I guess, uh, in lots of different ways that you just like, like there's something here, right? I just experienced something big. Yeah. And it's almost like the, the awakening of the robots, that something like that just kind of triggered this realization that like, whoa, we're in the presence of something. Like the ability to, to recognize beauty when you mm. see it is strange, yeah, right? It's, right? It's an interesting thing that, that humans possess and that other, other animals do too, I think. Um, but it's almost something that just like, like when it happens, it just happens. I was talking, I was, whenever I drive past a nice sunset or something, I pointed out to my kids and I'm just thinking like, when, at what age did I actually look at the sunset and deeply appreciate it? Yeah. Not, I don't think I was their age. <laughs> so my kids are probably just looking out just like, oh, cool. It's like orange or whatever. And they're like, no, look at it. Look at it. Look at this. This is something that's cool. This is like part of the essence of like what it means to be a human. 
mm. I will say, is to appreciate beauty in one form or another, yeah. right? And do it. Do it now. But you can't, like, um, put that into somebody. They kind of have to have their own, like, enlightenment. They, like, a light switch has to turn on where they just, all of a sudden, they realize they're in the presence of something truly beautiful. Yeah. And that was what Plato said. The, the true, the good, and the beautiful are, like, the three pillars of, like, transcendent experience, basically. Yeah. Um, for the human. This so. kind of also plays a little bit into Immanuel Kant, um, whose book, what was it called? It, I think it's a like critique the critique of pure, critique reason. Of pure I reason. I read it two weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's a so, really long book. Uh, sort of a similar premise there where like the essence of the human experience more or less is our ability for reasoning, right? To be able right. to interpret yes. this universe around us. And that but humans that are uniquely positioned to be capable of reasoning. Right. No, nothing else can, there seems are, to be able to do that. Right. So that, yeah. that's sort of part of, like he's saying, the essence of what it is yeah, to be human. Yeah. Since we're, as, as far as we know, the only animals on this planet can do that. Yeah. But also that, you know, there's the idea of the thing in, in and of itself, the thing in regardless itself. of our interpretation of what right. it means, oh, or, that's, which can be very flawed, right? And the idea <laughs> being that you really never get to actually see the thing in and of itself. Yes. Right? It's, right. it's so hard, yes. especially once, if it's something you've already seen before, you're never going to recreate that first experience of seeing it again. Right. Right. And you're, it will always be colored by your memory of the previous time you encountered it. Right. And so this kind of plays into not only the robots or machines seeing this volcanic eruption and trying to interpret it, right? But that could have been very similar to what happened in real, like, prehistory humans, right? Where they see a natural disaster of that kind, which is sure. simultaneously horrific and awe-inspiring. Yeah. And going, why did that happen? Like, that's crazy. God must be angry, or sure. whatever their interpretation well, oh, of a, a volcano one. erupting is, right? Yeah. Which is, it's their interpretation. It's not the thing itself. You're right. You're right. They're right. seeing essentially, and this is like the hermetic idea that um, as within, so without, right? That the, the forces of the outside world interact in a similar manner to the forces inside of yourself, right? Yeah. So that there's there's the god of Eros or whatever that's like, you know, fighting over your heart, but then there's also the god of Eros that is just influencing the whole world, yeah. right? There's like a dual aspect to those things. Um, and that if if something crazy happens on Earth, it's, it's got an analogy within you, right? Yeah. That something like that can happen within you or your group or something like that. There's like this really, I find it fascinating, but at least in part because um, an organism that... Um, come that, what would you say? An organism that comes from nature will have nature in it, right? Like yeah. it has to be, right? Uh, nature can't produce something that it possesses qualities that the nature itself did not have, right? Right. So it it eventually something like that is more or less correct, right? Right. Um, but um, a, another really interesting idea that I had because we talk about a volcano erupting, how crazy that is. Well, thunderstorms are crazy, right? Yeah, and the the like highest god of every pagan society like all of them was, was essentially like the, lightning, thunder the thunder god and yeah. in fact the word for god in japanese is like kami mm. lightning is kaminari or thunder actually i can't remember eh, probably thunder anyways kaminari means thunder um and it means to become god basically kaminari mm. anyways so the idea of and then of course baal baal was a lightning god uh, Marduk and Zeus, Zeus and Thor and like it goes on right like the lightning gods are the ones 
and then a, a volcano is essentially like a mega lightning event, right? It's like, because they already thought of lightning as fire. So now all of a sudden, you, and you've got the cloud of smoke, right, that comes out of the, the volcano, and you've got the, the pillar of fire, essentially. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is like a mega, super mega event. Um, yeah. And you, you can see how you can interpret that, but you have to have the capacity of the things outside are the same as things inside in the first place in order to, I feel like in order to develop that just in the first place, like in order to have that realization, uh, specifically because humans seem to be the only animals that do this. We right. are not the only ones that see volcanoes. Right. But we are the only ones that look at a volcano and think, no. God whoa, is I, just, pissed at I us. just experienced something <laughs> crazy. He's either pissed at us or he's pissed at them or he's yeah. pissed at the earth or the earth is pissed at God <laughs> or whatever it is, right? right. But um, humans seem to be uniquely the only ones that, that really do this, that ascribe yeah. meaning to things like that. Um, right. And I can't say that they're totally wrong because we are products of the environment that does do these things. Sure. Right? So anyways, it's really, really, yeah. really cool. I think it's fascinating. Um, we're going to talk more about Immanuel Kant in a oh, little good. bit because there is a character named after Immanuel Kant in this game. It's very easy to miss. It's the Forest King, uh, the baby, the little Forest King baby is Immanuel. So... Emmanuel. Yes. Why did I not? I probably thought that Emmanuel was more of a relation to Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Well, find a babe in swaddling clothes and that's the hard thing about a one a one name instead of two name thing. Like yeah, or Simone is easier. Simone. Jean Paul's a little easier, I guess. Sort of. But like when it's just a one name thing, even Engels, but Engels is a last name. But I believe that I didn't Emmanuel catch the Emmanuel Kant one. Is supposed to be Emmanuel Kant, and I'll go over why I think Kay. that reference is made when we get uh, there. But, I'm excited for that. Then um, I, I took note here as you're going through the old apartment complex oh, in oh, the desert. This is another one too. This is great. Okay, okay. so in that image, right? Um, they they kind of show the mountain, and then they show like a god type figure that's like this uh, dark shadow with like two eyes, like standing over the mountain. Mm-hmm. But they also have this um, the uh, what would you call it? The wires, the um, uh, the connection, right? A bunch of lines basically oh. going, and they're they mostly are like right angle lines and things like that because like it's the like machine machines. network, yeah, yeah, like the network. Uh, but it's showing that all of these lines from the machines are basically going into that being right there, right? Mm, um, like the god yeah. that came out of the volcano. And th- they are all connected in something that you could approximate to, essentially the collective unconscious, like their network, sure. how they're all yeah. kind of connected that way. Mm-hmm. That it's something like that. Um, and so they have this this like, they, all these machines together, being networked together, essentially created like a hyper machine, right? Like a, an, a, a, a hive mind, something like that, um, that probably would seem to kind of have its own agency, right? That can mm-hmm. kind of make its own choices, uh, being a distributed, uh, the distributed cognition of all of the machines together, creating like essentially like a hyper entity. Well, that's um, kind of what that Adam could essentially and Eve be. are. Yes, yes. Right? And, and then that thing is what births Adam, yeah, essentially. But it's, right. like their, it's like their God, essentially, something like that. That makes sense. So yeah. that's why it would come in this section of the game. Yeah. As a representation of sort of like a... Ah, because we're about to get into that. A leader or God that sort of is at the top of the hierarchy of this machine network, which otherwise is everyone else is kind of on an equal plane, I guess. I don't know. And and there was somebody who was asking earlier, is this the first time that... The birth of Adam and Eve, is this the first time that there has been this sort of attempt by the machine network to create a sort of leader or someone who's in control or a hierarchy right. of some kind. And maybe this story... They of, had of, it, it just wasn't embodied. Yeah. It was just uh, in the cloud, so to speak. Yeah. Or, or maybe there had been, and, and, you know, because mythologies, the, 
the stories change and yeah, yeah. The, the details are changed or lost along it, time. Maybe there was trying to convey. a machine that was kind of like this in the past, and now the story of that machine is, oh, it was a god that came from the volcano. Oh, sure. Yeah, but yeah. that might not be the reality of what it right. really was or something, you know. There's a lot of ways to read this or <laughs> interpret it. There, there's no concrete answers. It's pretty vague, but... Oh, yeah, but then their their eyes, the camera, like, pulls back, and the images show, like, the enlightenment. Essentially, the, the eyes light up. Oh, but yeah. Not just the eyes. Like, there's, like, the, a hole in yeah, the heart, too. The heart. Mm. So it's like they gain vision and, and a heart, right? Consciousness. And that's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the, um, the singularity. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I took some notes here on some of the things the robots say to you that I didn't get the first time. I don't know if this is different than an A playthrough, or if I just didn't hear these in A playthrough. But you're kind of going through, like, the apartment complexes, and you have machines saying things like, you not people, and hello, how are you today? <laughs> really? <laughs> nice weather. Things like this. Where? And they're, as you're going through, like, the, the desert apartment complexes hmm. down to where Adam and Eve are. Interesting. Um, they're not hostile. And they're saying things like, nice weather, hello, how are you today? Nice, but nice. back okay, in the sense. desert area sense. before you got into there, they attacked you hmm. and said all those things we talked about yeah, in yeah. an earlier episode. So anyway, I just kind of took note of that. I thought it was kind of funny. Um, I wonder what makes them choose these words is what 9S says in response to some of that stuff. It's just like, why are they saying this stuff, right? Hmm. Now we know the answer, but we're back at the beginning of the game. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that's all I've got until the amusement park even. So if you have anything I got Adam a little bit. Or... It's more that upon a second playthrough, it appears as though Eve emerged more from the stomach of Adam than from his to ribs. The side, yeah. Um, now it's, you know, flesh of his flesh, right? This is flesh yeah. of my flesh. Um, that still holds, and it's close, but I think it's probably saying something important about the stomach, right? This could be the chakras or the kundalini or the, oh, yep. and the lower ones closer to like the stomach. Those do represent the more instinctual emotional behavior, right? Like the just digestion and, and hunger and things like that. And yeah. um, that's kind of represented by those lower chakras. Yeah. And then the higher ones are the heart and the head and, you know, that's the spirit. That's where you get your enlightenment. Yeah. yeah. So if Eve is going to be more of the instinctual kind of raw emotional, um, the not conscious or not you know just like the the prime primordial feelings of adam it would make sense that she came that she comes out of his stomach yeah Yeah. um which is very interesting uh and then the network i think that's the moment that the network got split right Mm, it was like in that moment right there the network splits um adam then becomes one thing and eve becomes another thing but that was not the case early on Oh, that's an interesting point. Maybe the boss you're fighting before it splits isn't necessarily Adam either. It's, it's whatever they were both as yeah. they were com- well, a combined being. Because I brought up like the Orphic egg and Plato's idea of like the the four-armed, four-legged people that would be essentially the hermaphroditic like first humans. Um, but um, in Kabbalah, there's also the idea of Adam Kedmon. And Adam Kedmon was kind of like both, was male yeah. and female. It yeah. was a similar thing. So Adam Kedmon would be the precursor to Adam, from which then Adam derives and then Eve, yeah. you know, as well. They kind of split. We talked about this in Xenogears with the Kadmoni and yes. all that. <laughs> yeah. But oh, yeah, that was great. Adam Kadmon. Um Anything else? Uh, no, just the, the, the pods. I love what they give us. Oh, the yeah. pods here. Yeah. It's, it's just great. It, the... Um, 
they're the the way that the pods talk is very efficient. Yeah, that's what I'll say. They start exchanging data. Yeah. Hey, proposal. We should be exchanging more data. It would be more efficient. Analysis. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> thing, right? that's so funny. <laughs> I love it. Uh, um, and then yeah, we've got our next mythological. Yeah. Part. That's so I'm... I've I I got up to the amusement park as my next note. Okay, so, so right before that, we get the mythology thing, and it's about the treasures, right? The machines found these treasures. Yes. And each treasure had a different shape. And it seems to me that these treasures were found, like, by the machines being introspective. Like, these, they discovered oh, yeah. I've, truths I've, about themselves, yeah. right? Like, uh. these new sentient beings were like, oh, my gosh, I have... Like this love for animals, like that one machine. Like yes. it was something that was discovered about themselves. That yes. was probably not necessarily part of their previous programming. Um, so then you get like a heart shape and a spiral shape and like all the different shapes. Um, some of the shapes are bad. <laughs> some of the shapes are good. Yeah. So what he says is they were found by the machines. The machines called yeah. them treasures. They found them. I yeah. think I thought that was fascinating. Each treasure had a different shape. Each treasure had a different shape. And it was Again, something that they, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it seems very, very vague at first, but these treasures get brought up again in a later version, laser yes. one of these scenes where it clarifies where the, what with it the means. the evil one, basically. Right, kind of towards the end of yeah. the playthrough, really, but um, but yeah. And then uh, my next note is we actually get to yep. see the name of the boss in the amusement yep. park. This is Simone. Simone. As in Simone de Beauvoir. De right? Beauvoir. So we talked a little bit about her um, in the first episode and that she was going to be an influential figure. Her book, The Second Sex, was probably influential on some of the themes of the game and stuff like that. Yeah. And I, I really struggled to sort of organize my thoughts on this after reading that book. Um, I'm going to try to just keep it simple. Um, but I have a lot in here. A lot of thoughts that I had, but it, it's not, it's not very like organized into a thread that makes a lot of sense yeah. yet. So I'm just, I'm not sure how this is going to go, <laughs> but I'll give it a shot. Okay. Um, I think it's important to start off with the fact that this character, Simone, which is what you learn as you're going through the fight, was originally just a little machine like all the others who was seeking the affection, attention of Jean Paul, mm -hmm. just like all those other machines, like the one that wears makeup from the yeah, yeah. from the machine village, right? Yep. And in order to win his affections, she went further and further and further and further in modifying herself to yeah. become beautiful, right? And this is all based on well, the definition of beauty is mm. all based on what these machines are pulling from the archives of human history. Yeah. Those yeah. definitions of beauty and what that right. meant. Yep. So that's kind of like the story of this character. She just went further and further with embellishments and adornments yeah. and modifications to her, her entire self-worth was based on the reciprocal affections of Jean Paul who never really ended up reciprocating at all. No, not, no matter not how hard close. she tried or how far she went, yeah. it just never worked out. So that's sort of just the general, like, wider view of the story behind this character. Yeah. Um, the stuff she did was got increasingly 
more disturbing. Yeah, more disturbing. Yeah. Adorned she, with the bodies of she was androids. adorned. But uh, there was one line here: and cannibalization um, yes. of, of other machines. Yeah. It was like if you eat a machine, then you'll become more beautiful. And she, yeah. it's so funny because she goes, "That was such a stupid idea." And then the next line was, but I did it anyways. Like, oh my gosh, that's how (laughs) desperate she was. And then it was like, oh, well, then you should eat some androids. And so she ate some androids, and then that didn't work. And then she ate some machines. And I almost feel like that's why she got so big. Like, there's no digestion here. She's just full of things. Yeah. Yeah. So let's read some of the dialogue. So, Simone, yeah, you get more dialogue because, again, you're hacking. You can actually understand what she's saying. I know I must become more beautiful. Adding lots of adornments will make me beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. I must be beautiful. More beautiful, more beautiful. I must become more beautiful. She's just obsessed, right? Um, There's also a part of this fight uh, where, and this is more noticeable here on Beat Playthrough, where the camera sort of turns away from Simone. Yeah, and you can't like redirect <clears throat> the camera oh, with yes. the stick to look at her. Yeah, that's and right. she keeps like begging you to look at her, like that's look right. at me, look at me, and you can't even turn the camera yeah. that way, right? So all of this is sort of building up to sort of the thesis of what this is all about, right? Look at me, oh please, look at me. I want your eyes to look upon me alone. Have I not become more beautiful? Do these clothes make me look cute? Would he like it if I walked like this? I still don't understand what it means to love someone, but I've made up my mind. I will do whatever it takes to capture his affection. Whatever it takes. Long ago, an old machine life form told me something. Beauty is what wins love. But what is beauty? After researching the old world, I finally learned the truth. Beauty is pretty skin. Beauty is stylish accessories. Beauty is looking one's best. I will become beautiful. I will do it for him. That line really struck me. I will do it. For him. I will become more right. beautiful for him. And I'm going to say she, something about she, that. She has offered him tremendous power. Yes. Over herself. Yes. Yes. And this is all part of De Beauvoir's, like, feminist view of yeah. how men historically subjugated women and sort of dominated them and made them into private property and all this other stuff. And it's impossible to, like, summarize all those arguments. I'm not even going to try. In, in her book. But yeah. this is part of it, right? Mm. I once heard tell of a precious jewel far to the east. It was said to be located on a terribly dangerous mountain, but I didn't care. I slipped on cliffs. I fell onto rocks, but eventually I claimed the jewel. Blue stone, brilliant blue. I lost many parts obtaining this jewel. I lost myself, but my wounds are badges. There's a rumor floating among the other machine life forms lately. Devour the body of an android to gain eternal beauty. Mm-hmm. Such nonsense. It's physically impossible to obtain beauty by consuming an android, but I tried anyway. Oh, man. I would try anything. I wanted to vomit, so she didn't even, she hated doing this, but I kept going. It tasted like oil. Not a moment passed where I didn't strive to become more beautiful. She said, I felt like vomiting. Yeah, as she was eating. I know, but she's a robot. I know. So it's like eating, that doesn't make sense to eat something. How then does it... Makes, makes sense, sense for her vomit. to have a desire to vomit. Yeah. That, that, that's if this is all just an emulation, they're just trying oh, right. to act like yes. humans. <laughs> yes. um, and even that uh, it tasted like oil. Can they taste? Like, do they have taste buds? <laughs> do they have tongues? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Not a moment passed where I didn't strive to become more beautiful, but he still wouldn't look my way. I even tried to learn what is called a song. Songs can make someone have feelings for you. That's what they say. 
So I practiced every day. I ate more androids. I even ate machine life forms. Yep, her own people. But he still won't look my way. He won't look my way. He won't look my way. He won't repeat over and over again. He still won't look my way. That's when I realized he cares not for jewels or songs or beauty or appearance or anything else. I cannot win his love. Why have I done this to myself? Mm. Meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. I gaze into the mirror. In its reflection, I see only my own. Uh, only my own meaningless. Meaninglessness. And so I scream, someone please look my way. So, this is a touchy subject. And it's personal for other people in my life, so I'm not going to name any names. <laughs> and I want to precurse all of this by saying I understand that I'm... I, I have n no place and there is no intention here to speak on behalf of women. Uh, so really, I would say what I hope that will happen here is that we, we do have women that watch our channel. I just don't right. think they uh, speak up as often in the comments, maybe. Um, they did on certain games when we called out to them. We're like, hey, we want a female perspective oh, yeah. on this. There were several. And then they, yeah, they kind of they started right. talking more. So I'm inviting for that again okay. um, to, to give more perspective on this. So this is by no means an attempt to uh, explain or mansplain, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the I guess, the, the, the position, what it feels like to be an other. Yeah, in that To be way. the second sex, not the primary sex right. in the society. And even though long strides have been made to liberate women, give them more rights, allow them to own private property, right. you know, that the remnants of that are, are, are still going to be problems that we're dealing with today. So please feel free to like speak up in the comments. I'm eager to get more perspective on this because all I could do as I was reading this book was just want to talk to more people and get their oh, yeah. feelings on it. To understand. And just listen yeah. to what other women feel about these things mm. and not really um, try to educate people on the <laughs> podcast about it. On their behalf. Does that make yeah. sense? No. So I'm not trying I, to I do understand that. Exactly what you're I'm saying. just trying to like make it more of a conversation starter and okay. to use what I have observed from the women in my life to sort of get that ball rolling. So I just wanted to say that first. Um I remember as a teenager, uh, my first girlfriend in high school, um, and uh, again, I, I, I'm really hesitant to do this because, like, I don't, I, I, I would, I would fear that if she were in the room, she would say, "No, that's not true," or whatever. And so I'm saying this totally with that like caveat to it, like, right. what I, I might be saying, my observation, it's, it's a perspective. Yeah, my yeah. observation might be completely off about what she really felt or something, but I, mm. it was just what I observed and what I saw and how I interpreted it. It was, it was strange to me that she didn't seem to have hobbies. I have noticed in in the similar. sense that my male friends did right right we had things that we like aspired to skills that we would learn whether it's 
learning instruments, not like, oh, my mom made me go to piano lessons and learn piano, but like I stopped doing Personally, that yes, me because too. my mom was teaching me and I didn't I like it. That. And I yeah. said, no, I want to learn guitar. Right. I had, I, I took agency yeah. to not do what I was told mm -hmm. by my mother. And I went and said, no, I want to be a rock star and play right. guitar instead. And I, that choice was, was allowed for me to do. Right. right? Yeah. Um, I, I did that for many things. I had so many interests and so many hobbies and so many skills I was working on, whether that was writing or filmmaking. We made films all through junior high and high school. It's like almost all we did with our free time was make movies, yeah. right? Yeah. And that continued into now. our professions, <laughs> yeah. right? We're still doing video. Um, storytelling, uh, basketball and sports, um, just so many different things that were related specifically to skills skills that i wanted to improve and get better at yeah and it it came off to me that she had no interest in pursuing those types of hobbies where you're developing skills or becoming uh developing something that could become a career or something like that there was right. almost this it appeared to me, I'm not saying it was, it appeared to me like a lack of interest hmm. in those types of hobbies and that her hobbies were hanging out with friends. Talking to people. Talking um, and shopping. Yeah, shopping. And stuff like that. Sure. And I was just baffled by it. I was like, do you not, I didn't ever actually talk about it with her. It was just something I noticed in my mind. Right. Like, why do you not pursue something that would be more a, a skill or, or something that would like advance <laughs> your ability to like contribute to society in a career or a job or something like that. And it, and then as I got older, I started noticing this in other women too, right? It, it was like, I just didn't see the same drive or, 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 or maybe confidence is a better word. Confidence to like go out like develop a, a, a skill and, and have hobbies that were related to that. So I say that because that was like my first moment noticing some of the things she talks about in this book. The quote is, one oh. is not born, but rather becomes a woman. Yeah. And I'll, I'll right. uh, she says this in her own words. I was going to copy down the text directly, but now I'm just going to read it and silence this video. She says, yes, that expression really sums up all of my theories, and its meaning is very simple. Being a woman is not a natural fact. It's the result of history. There is no biological or psychological destiny that defines a woman as such. It's history that has constructed her. Firstly, the history of civilization that has led to her current status. And on the other hand, for each individual woman, it's the history of her life, particularly the early history of her childhood, which determines who she is as a woman. That's as far as I'll go with that. Okay. But this more or less wraps up like the central thesis of, of what she's saying, which is she's not making the argument, I guess I should say first, that there's not a difference between like biologically between a man and a woman that in the obvious ways. Yes. Yeah. Right. But what she is I saying is the thing in itself, the Kant thing we're talking about, yeah. right? A, a, a biologically female human being, the thing in itself is not what we as a society over history 
determined it was. Right. What what that was determined is something a woman becomes, not something she's born as. And this plays into also her, because she had a relationship with John Paul Sartre, Jean-Paul Sartre who, yeah. who, who was all about existentialism and the yeah. essence versus the existence and which yeah. comes first and giving you the ability, the freedom to choose what you are rather than defining what you are by some kind of essence. There was a creator who made me this and therefore that's what I am, right? right? And she essentially is taking that and applying it to the fact that that's what our society has done to women. They have made woman into an essence, and they have trained girls to, to become, become that. Yes, yeah. But they're not born that way. Right. Does that make sense? Yes, that makes perfect sense. Okay. The, the reverse is likely true for men as well. Oh, like, it's, it is to true. To be a man is like, you don't, you're not born a man. You become a man. Yes. Yeah. And, and I, that's important to point out. That's Good. true. But the, 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 the difference is that that is considered the default human and the one that has all the power oh, in the society. I see that this does harken back to, I think Plato or, or probably actually more like Aristotle uh, considered women to essentially just be like defective men. Is yes. that like some, Freud. something like Freud that? Freud okay, okay. talked about this and yeah. she was a huge critic of Freud for this. Yeah. Uh, mm. Because that's essentially what a lot of psychoanalysis at the time was sort of saying. And if I'm go- if this goes back to Plato and Aristotle, it probably goes yeah. back way before them. Too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I mean, you can just imagine and how long this has been the case, right? Yeah. Um, now, and I was going to look into this, and I forgot to do it, but I, I, I may be totally mistaken, but I, I'm pretty sure that fetus, a fetus, when it is first developing, by fault, by default, they're always female first. I heard that in high school. Right. I, it's been about 20 years. I so just don't is know that if true? that's true for sure. Or is that Maybe one we of can those, look at um, that real quick. High school urban legends. But like, it, it actually really turns that whole thing on its head because even in Christianity, it was, it was Eve was the other. She was the second. It was Adam yeah. was the primary, right? Yeah. And, and she talks about all of this and how this sort of shaped what a woman is in society, but... Did you find an answer? This just says, during early development, the gonads of the fetus remain undifferentiated. That is, all fetal genitalia are the same and are phenotypically female. So they, the genotype is obviously one chromosome or the other. Yes. But the phenotype, the way it's shown, the way we see it, is female. Yes. So it looks like female genitalia until the point in um, the development where the um, the gamete producers either come outside of the body or, or stay, stay inside. inside the body. Yeah. Right. So they all so, stay inside at the beginning. Whether or not this is exactly the right way to put it, it is ironic. There is some like, irony there. <laughs> in, in the religious context, historically, we have seen woman coming from men. Eve came from Adam. Right. Adam was the primary. Adam was the first. Eve was the second. Right. And that's the whole the title of the book is the second sex, not the primary, but the other, the second one, yeah. the one that has been defined as the lesser or the uh, afterthought or something like that. Right. But like biologically speaking, it's almost the other way around. It would be, yeah, you could <laughs> see it the other way around. So whatever in evolution, whatever the thing is that finally we can say this is a human and its parent was not a human. Yes. I know that that's like people hate talking about that because it doesn't make sense. Um, but at whatever point where you draw the line, that being the first human um, was a girl inside the womb. Yes. Something like that. Girl, Something like that. Female, whatever. Yeah. yeah. And so it's just... Fair enough. So that's kind of like the, S, <laughs> the essence of yeah. her 
point of her thesis of what she was is arguing mm -hmm. in the book. And as I was reading it and thinking about it, I remembered all these times in which that's what I was really noticing about the women in my life, yeah. that they were almost tailored, taught, brought up to be their hobbies were like beauty and dating and makeup and yeah. relationships and talking about those sorts of things and were not related to the things I was interested in, which was the development of skills right. in going out and like bettering myself at things that would, um, as she puts it, which I've got some more quotes. Give me a second. <laughs> okay. So there's actually several quotes that are kind of related to this and I can't remember precisely what I'm just going to kind of read them just to give some tastes of what's in this book. Um, it is not in giving life, but in risking life that man is raised above the animal. That is why superiority has been accorded to humanity, not to the sex that brings forth, but to that which kills. So this has a uh, reference to Adam. In the game. In the game. That's why I took the screenshot. Oh, good, good. I was going to say, wow, <laughs> that's kind was, of on the nose. Yeah, it's like, it, yeah. that's what Adam does well, when he fights to be. And that, because that's what he learned, right? He yeah. researches all the human things and he goes, whoa, the, the highest point in society is that which puts his life on the line. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. That's pretty good. Um, she also writes here, I could not help but comment to my distinguished audience that every question asked of Sartre concerned his work, while all those asked about Beauvoir concerned her personal life. Oh, I didn't think that's where she was going with that. Yeah. Okay, I guess I'm, I can't. Well, that's similar that. to what we were just talking about. Like the, so. the interest of the yeah. women that I knew were all talking about the personal life things and the relationships and the yeah. dating and the stuff like that. Yeah. And I was focused on work. I was focused on my work. What am I going to do right. for a living someday? What do I want to become? What do I want to go out there and like uh, enforce on the world or make a mark on the world? The girls that I knew growing up never talked mm. about this at all. Um, didn't Simone, wasn't she, didn't she have a unique personal life though? Oh, for sure. I almost wonder if there's something there. <laughs> like she was very different in the way she chose to live her life. Yeah, on purpose. That certainly invites some questions. Well, or whereas, skepticism or whatever. Sure, yes. Yeah. Whereas if Jean-Paul were to receive questions about his personal life, it would likely be about, hey, what's that girl doing <laughs> that you yeah. like? Yeah. As opposed to because he was kind of just doing his own thing, right? Yeah. I don't know. But th there could be more you read into that too. Whereas like, is it just, is it weird for a woman to live this way? Because yeah. that's what we have been raised to think like women shouldn't be acting or behaving in this way, but it's like more acceptable for a man or, it, or maybe just well, not that's as true. strange. That one's true because if the man was mm. going around sleeping around, it's not as big a deal. No. If the woman is having her own yeah. way, it society is a lot tighter on that. She talks about this all the time in the book too, about sexuality and how yeah. religion in particular really like put a clamp on that for women yes. in a way that they did not for men. And why yes. and well and and the why it's not just doctrinal it would also be biological yeah right this is not related to what I was getting to sorry I, I, I tried to warn you guys my thoughts on this are not super organized but this is also just kind of in relation to something we were talking about last week 
Few tasks are more like the torture of Sisyphus, Sisyphus than housework Ooh. with its endless repetition. The clean becomes soiled. The soiled is made clean over and over, day after day. The mm. housewife wears herself out, marking uh, time. She makes nothing, simply perpetuates the present, eating, sleeping, cleaning. The years no longer rise up towards heaven. They, they lie spread out ahead, gray and identical. The battle against dust and dirt is never won. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Whereas now, now she's she's avoiding the raising of children here, but you know if you're just talking about cleaning, well, she she talks about rough. that too, though. Okay, she, and that because when she quote. says they create or they make nothing, um, it's like I don't, I don't know. About well, that. but but she but this is how a man, in her view, separates himself from an animal, hmm. right? An ani- a man hunted and went out and created technology and yes. like and and so then took ownership yes. of things, right, yeah. and private property and all that stuff. Oh yeah, but a woman's role in society was child rearing yes which yeah. an animal can do oh i see i see so okay, fair enough. so a woman is not able to transcend in the way that a man is mm, sure in the society because her role is simply reduced to what any animal can do so whereas just, men are going well, out the more becoming more than that it's the more instinctual more baser nature kind of right mm, gotcha so yeah she does touch on that in other places in the book um Okay, there's just too much. <laughs> there's too much. I'm going to put this away for a second, and and try to like round out my point here and bring it back to the game a little. And bit. then I want to read a little bit that um, Mix um, sent me earlier about somebody who wrote a biography of of De Beauvoir. Okay, cool. Um, the point is is that even beyond my high school girlfriend, uh, women that I knew after that, my my own family members, whether it be cousins, my sister, my mother whether it be uh, other women that I've met in social situations at work or uh, other groups that I was a part of or whatever it might be, eventually other girlfriends. Um, I started to notice in different ways sort of similar patterns where it's just like the, the what they took interest in seemed to be really different in a way that confounded me or puzzled me and I didn't understand like why is it that you that you don't have to seem to have the same drive that I have to develop yourself in the ways that I'm doing it which happen to advance my career and happen to give me skills that make me um, a more valuable or asset to uh, a, a company or, or, or you know, y- useful to contributing to society in the workplace. Mm. And, and the things you focus on tend to not do that. And is this natural? Is this just the way women think versus the way men think? And there's Nur- a, nature, nurture, right? It's that's like, the whole probably, argument. And that's, that's probably really both. Probably what, both. what it boils down to. And, yeah. and a lot of what her argument is, is that this is more nurture. She's yeah. saying it's not nature, and that, that's part of the existentialist view, is that there isn't an essence, right? Oh, right. That's a good that, that you're made into what you become, and that men typically have more choices, not just in what they're literally in the law allowed to do. It used to be more that way, where oh, women right. were private property. They were uh, not allowed to own uh, They were not allowed to own land. They were not allowed to vote. They, you know, right, yeah. those things have opened up 
more so in modern times. But there's, there's, there's something more than that. It's not just like what you're literally allowed or not allowed to do. It's what society has sort of guided you or taught you is what you should be interested in pursuing versus what you should be interested in pursuing. Mm -hmm. And this is done very subtle ways, psychological ways from early on in childhood through, uh, you know, corporate campaigns, marketing campaigns and, and all sorts mm -hmm. of things that factor into you're watching commercials as a child and the ones for boys are obviously very different than the ones that are for girls. And like, I guess my point is, is that I didn't really connect it until now that there was probably a lot more nurture in what I had been observing hmm. about the women in my life growing up uh, than I wanted to accept or that uh, she just likes this, I guess, and this is what she's into, rather than that might have been something that was she became. And one person in particular I won't name on the podcast just because, again, I'm kind of afraid that, like, I don't want to, like, speak for anybody. Be careful. She told me specifically about how much she felt like her life changed in puberty. It was like as soon... Oh, women go through a bigger... That's yes, true. That's, it, it, it was as soon as menstruation started. Yeah. This became something that, oh, I... That made me different from the boys in the class. Right. Something that, oh, they're disgusted by, I can't talk about, I can't be open about. Something right. that weakens me. Something that my hormones are changing. The boys start going through puberty, they're getting stronger in their puberty. Right. Uh, and that, and this is something she calls out directly, is puberty, um, child rearing, and just biological sex being like a huge factor beyond the societal sort of like domination of women in the fact that they couldn't own land and all those things that Engels talked about. She's like, it goes deeper than that. It, it, it's, it's way deeper than that for the reasons why women uh, had a lesser place, why they were the second in society. And, and, and as this person was explaining this to me, I was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I'm reading in the book. You're, you're basically telling me your, your um, experience through puberty is exactly what she was saying in the book, like changes a girl right. into a woman, the woman right. of society's view of woman. And as a girl, she had dreams. As a girl, she felt confident. As a girl, you know, she had all of this, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? positivity in terms of hope about the future mm -hmm. and that that started to like be whittled down through puberty. Um, and that was just something that like, yeah, I never ever could understand what that's like. Cause obviously right. I don't, I didn't go through it. Right. It was totally a different experience. And so anyway, as this boils back down to the game, what struck me about Simone here is that the, the object of her obsession is to do all of this for a man. Yeah. And I have also noticed that about other women that I know. It's like the object of what they pursue is all in relation to marriage, family, and that's it. It's like that's what they really care about. And I, I always thought that must be because it's in their nature to be, it's in their essence to be that way. Hmm. 
And there's a part of me that's starting to realize, based on other conversations I've had recently, that might not be as much the case as I once thought. And it's really made me reconsider a lot of things. And as particularly if I become a father and I have a daughter and the way that I would go about making sure, you know, that they get a choice in what they become rather than being molded into something, becoming the second yeah. sex. Does that make sense? Yes. As somebody with a daughter, <laughs> I, I do. I know what you mean. It's so funny. I watch, um, I watch her go to kindergarten, right? You know, I'll drop her off sometimes. Usually my wife does it, but I'll drop her off. She'll run in and she's so friendly with the boys. The boys mm. are so friendly with her. And I, I have this thought where I'm just like, you all can be friends until you're, I don't know, when did, when did girls stop becoing friends with boys? Right. Like, when did that happen? Like puberty. 11-ish? It's puberty. Yeah, 11. It's puberty for girls. And That's when it, it there, happens. There's a point where it's like, it's going to get really awkward for you two to just like be this friendly. And like, I don't, there's nothing that you can, I don't think there's anything you can do about that, right? There's just the sexual tension just like shows up and it shows up and it makes people act weird and boys stop hanging out with girls as much unless it's like, you know, romantically and, you know, as they get older. Um, but girls think boys are gross and boys think girls are gross. And that, that happens around like, I don't know, maybe like late elementary school. And then, you know, but it's, it's, it's just funny to see how my daughter is with the boys in her class right now. They're so nice to her. They all get along great. They all don't see each other's differences at all. Yeah. And really there aren't that many for children. It's like not that they're not that different. It's puberty when they really become different. And when my daughter goes through that, first off, I don't think I'm going to have a ton of influence on her. Yeah. <laughs> like once she's that age and it's like, ooh, you know, I'm just, and she'll start talking to me about whatever she's talking about, you know, like I won't really have influence on her at that point. It'll be too late essentially. So it's mm. like when they're younger, you do that more, more, but at the same time, it's just make sure that they know that they can do anything. My daughter, she actually came home from uh, kindergarten a few weeks ago and she goes, Hey daddy, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a mommy. I'm going to be a scientist and I'm going to be an artist. (laughs) (laughs) Good for you. I don't know anyone who can do those things, you know, all three, like the real professionally, like top is the motherhood part. That one just will, it'll either win out careers or it'll be sacrificed to the other thing. And that's a whole part of her point too, is is that childbirth kills careers, but it gives the human race. It continues existence. And and I don't, I don't think she's ever trying to diminish how important that is as much as it is to say that this is a factor in why women were seen as the second or the other. Whereas the men were going out doing the hunting and the creating, they're regulated to this. They have to, they have to take that role if the species is to continue. Men don't have to. And so there's an inherent uh, difference that creates an inequality based purely on the biological sex. Right. That's, That's where she's saying she's going deeper than Engels and Marx did. Right. Because I can't go work I just had this kid. I have to take care right. of it. Yes. And that means that I'm going to hire a priority. man instead of you because right. he, she, he won't have to Maternity step leave. out of the workplace. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yep. That's that's the point. Yep. So. That is true. There was something else I was going to say about Immanuel Kant. The essence uh, or, or the uh, the essence of humanity or the thing in itself. Oh, right. 
you look at the difference between boys and girls versus men and women, but boys and girls, uh, outside of, I guess, the obvious physical, you know, difference, there's not that much difference. Like they, when they're young, when they're young, yeah. their their voices are both yeah. high pitched. Although I they still both gotta have tons say, of energy. My daughter, she she is young, but um, she's already starting to notice that. Yeah, she's like she tells me she goes, I don't want to play boy games. Like boy games yeah. are where people get hurt. Yeah, <laughs> she's right. like five, so it's like oh geez, this starts pretty young, I guess. Right. She, she's still in that stage where she can be friends with them, yes. but when they start playing their games, she's she's out. She's gonna go find some girls to play with. But le- like, let's step back even further. What's like the real <laughs> essential difference outside of biological sex to an infant <laughs> baby boy and an infant baby girl? Yeah, basically. Otherwise, what's yeah. the difference? Basically. They act almost exactly the same. And when did this happen? It was probably when she was like three or four that started to become a thing. I started noticing her not really hanging out with, yeah. with like, you know, uh, playing with. She'll hang out with the boys to talk. Yeah. <laughs> but she won't play with them as much. And, um, and it was around three or four. And so the question is, is that already starting? Is the nurture... Mm that is splitting the difference already happening at that young of an age. For my daughter, I don't think so. I'm, I am, I'm very, I'm very good. I'm very good with her. She, my daughter's going to have, she's going to have, well, it wasn't, it didn't have to be you. It could have been other people. It could have been the TV. It could have been the way that she sees. That's true. Yeah. Um, but, but, um, she just doesn't want to get hurt. When the boys are playing, she gets hurt. And she just doesn't want to Oh, do I that. see what you're saying. Like, like I the don't, rough play. Exactly. Kind of that's yeah. that's more when I mentioned that she's like, I'm going to go find some girls. It's when the boys start and it, and she's slowly caught onto the pattern. It just inevitably happens. The boys, yeah. she, it may start fun, but the boys are going to start bringing in monsters and swords and dragons. And she just wants to play like house or something like yeah, that. Yeah, but like, um, and when did those boys decide that they wanted to play Monsters and Swords and Dragons? Pretty early on. And, I can't and, wait till you have how, kids. It's early, dude. How did that... <laughs> Was, I don't did, know. Did they come into the world wanting to play Swords and Dragons, uh, or did they see it and go, that's cool, I want to emulate that? Yeah. That's that's the that's the hard-to-answer question here. I, I, I don't... I, I'm on the nurture end... Or, sorry, I'm on the nature, nature end of that of one. That. Um, having had kids, it seems pretty... Pretty, pretty clear to me that this is just like what happened. In fact, um, this is um, my brother Landon, who a lot of people on this channel will be familiar with. I'm going to bring him up next episode because we're going to have to end yep, soon. Yeah, we're going to end soon. <laughs> but um, he, so he and his wife were trying their absolute hardest to make sure that there was not going to be any gender expectations on their kids. Okay. Very hard. They really tried to push not I don't want to I don't want to make it sound like they were pushing or anything. They they tried to be very open and free. Like yeah. give the girls some cars, give the boys some Barbie dolls and like just like they both would watch the same very modern television. Um and so none of that was really there. Their son is as masculine a boy as you could ever and their sure. daughter is the most princess like little girl in the world and it just and you talk to them and they're just like <clears throat> Like we really tried to not let this happen, and it just just kind of happened. Yeah, and that, those are who my kids play with too. Sure. And so that's that that boy is part of the reason why my daughter is kind of like he's very he's a boy. He's <laughs> such a boy, right? Uh, but I just want to say that because of course I wasn't as you know I just whatever I didn't try to like guide them towards I didn't try to guide my daughter towards more masculine things and my sons towards more feminine things. Although my son sometimes wears the frozen dress from yeah, Elsa. Right. <laughs> She right. thinks it looks cool. It's got a jewel in there. <laughs> like, all right, we got a ton of pictures of him in a dress. Yeah. Um, but um, 
like it seemed to me to be quite quite uh, the nature winning over nurture yeah. in these cases. Yeah, I and I, I want to make something else clear too is because mm. uh, this happens sometimes on the podcast. People are watching and they they tend to start. I know. Assuming. I've been trying to like. <laughs> no, I brought in my own family. Yeah, you take yeah. that's obviously my personal opinion. Um, but yeah, I've yeah. been trying to like be as objective as I can yeah. about Beauvoir. Beauvoir. Yeah. So like, you know, they, they start to they, they they tend to start assuming sometimes. Oh. Uh, you must be one of those woke people or the opposite or the, what's the opposite? people have assumed trad, uh, trad. <laughs> have assumed <laughs> our politics or whatever. So many times in the comments, it's been kind of baffling to me. It's almost always wrong. Yeah. And I'm not saying by far from it that I've been perfect in my ability to, to be as objective as possible when bringing up conversation starters, which is all this podcast is. This is not a place to make, <laughs> declarative like statements final. and be like, Hey, this is right. And this is wrong. Cause I just don't believe that in general. I, I don't, I don't believe I really know. Ooh, that is wise. Most of anything that yeah. I'm talking about. Really? Of Socrates course, would say that you are a wise man. Of, of course I have opinions and I'm about to clarify some of that now mm. so that you'll understand that just because I'm trying to make the arguments in for De Beauvoir, for De Beauvoir doesn't mean I agree with everything she said. It doesn't mean that you want to go further than Ingalls? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Though, she did open my eyes to a lot of things. I, that's I, good. That's good. I don't agree with yeah. everything that was written in there, and I do tend to believe a lot more in nature. Uh, yeah. th I, I, I just, just think... biology, there, right? There's, there's, there's just yeah. a lot of things in terms of things I've inherited, mm. clearly inherited from my family and and you could make the argument that was nurtured i was in my family they taught you to think this way yes yeah, but, but i i think i think there really is quite a lot of both and there's the good reason why there's good arguments for both and uh it's really hard to know when it is nurture and when it is nature yeah. but i do think that there is nature that that plays a part in why boys are the way they are and why girls are the way they are yeah. or why sometimes boys are more feminine and why there's a biological explanation for that that's in nature too uh, that's not just a nurture thing as some people on the other side might try to argue you know but yeah. but your 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 brother and your sister-in-law are a good example where <laughs> yeah. they tried to be open and it they tried turned out that way they tried so bless them the point is i'm not trying to say one is right or wrong because we don't know we just don't fetch no know. no it's too complicated i think you're you're just saying that like you, I you want to make room to add in or to be yes, open to. I want to be bring open a little more of that in to the fact that these girls that I grew up with, who I thought it was in their nature, yeah, to be obsessed like about boys right? and kids and getting married and having families and looking mm. pretty and going on dates, and that right. seemed to be the only thing they cared about. There might have been more nurture in, in that than gotcha. I uh, than I thought. And and if that's the case, if that's the case. Um, that's probably something we should address because that is keeping women uh, at a disadvantage to men in the workforce. Mm. That really is right. holding them back from a destiny they choose versus one that they were born and bred to think was their destiny as a woman. And I don't like that at all because I don't have that stipulation. I was allowed to tell my mom, no, I'm not playing piano. I'm going to play an electric guitar. How many girls... I don't well, know you, the answer you to have, this. You have a sister. Yeah. How many girls felt like they couldn't make that assertion and make yeah. that choice to say, no, I'm not going to play piano, mom. No, I'm not going to uh, 
I'm not going to do the things that are expected for me to do as a girl mom. I'm going to do this instead because I want to pursue this. That is just, I feel, historically, it's indisputable, was not a choice given to girls and women. True, true. And that has to still remain to oh, some course. degree mm-hmm. in the society that evolved from that one. Oh, totally. Yep. Does that make sense? Yep, totally. Okay. That's Makes where we're going to have to leave off. But I got one thing. <laughs> I'm going to read this quote from Mix, okay. and we're just going to leave it to the comment section yeah. uh, for this one. Um, so Mix, uh, Beast in the YouTube comments, you guys should read all of his stuff because he he posts like these essays, yep. like four or five of them. A lot of them. And, and, and really a lot of them stuff. come really from... Good. Uh, what is written here in our on chat the Discord when on, we're live on doing Patreon. this. Yeah, yep, right. exactly. So he sent this thing. It's somebody who wrote a, a biography about de Beauvoir. Um, and so I'm just going to give you a few, but one, uh, it's basically talking about uh, de Beauvoir like developed this desire to like consume things and, and was never uh, really sated. Sure. Right. Um, and this says uh, her appetite extended to collecting things, including many gifts and souvenirs from her travels. When she finally moved from hotel rooms to a proper apartment in the 50s it quickly filled up with ja- jackets and skirts from guatemala blouses from mexico once again clothes and things yeah. <laughs> um i went to mexico i didn't bring back any clothes <laughs> i'm just saying nope. okay. i think i think i brought back like sunglasses yes. and like a lighter or a lighter yeah something or like, like um <laughs> like a little cool little gadget or something <laughs> you know things from oh and uh, okay then some um like tom tom drums from oh that sart had brought back <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. That's just okay. I don't mean to. I, that was unexpected. Okay. Anyways, so she brought a whole bunch of things back from these places, and it says that um, her her um, diary keeping and her memoir writing also reflected an urge to acquire and relish everything that came into her grasp. Mm. These descriptions of her earnest, the earnestness of de Beauvoir for life and her desire to ingest, I think, map well to the devouring aspect of her character in Near Automata. Those last words were. Um, were mixes. Um, but yeah, this is basically, um, de Beauvoir had this, had this desire to, to just devour and to like consume everything and not just in like a destructive way. Like she was trying to incorporate it into her being. She found all these cool things from all over the place. And she was like, she wanted like in a perennialist sort of way. She wanted, she wanted that. Oh, I like that from this culture. I like that from this culture. And she was like collecting these things so that she could make, like, I'm sure that there are some cultures that are a lot more uh, matriarchal that she probably was like, I really think that's cool. Um, I'm going to adopt some of those beliefs as my own. Yeah. And that you're, but you're consuming. That's a, that's a, sure. a version of consuming, you know, when you do that. <clears throat> yeah. And so she kind of had this, um, this air about her of, of wanting to consume and consume. That's very relevant to de Beauvoir or to Simone, to Simone here in near automata for sure. So thank you for that mix. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we appreciate you, uh, all the, all the stuff that you had to it. So, yep. so yeah, that just kind of leaves off on this section. That's, that's some of the ideas that were worked into this character why it was designed the way it was, why she's obsessed with Jean-Paul's affection. Um, yeah. Hopefully that all that jumbled mess that I kind of <laughs> tried to get through to explain it kind of came around and made more sense of this boss and why it's designed the way it is and why what, it, yeah. what its treasure was, right? The treasures and, we're talking about. That the and machines. really, as she is embodying this purely cultural, completely nurtured, um, because as a as a robot, there isn't yeah. much nature oh, there. It's all none. learned from the from the about archives the of yeah. human. So history, as she yeah. embodies purely the nurture aspect of the current culture, yeah. um, she 
is it's just, she's pitiful and there's no other way to say it yeah partly because she failed like if she actually got jean paul then i probably wouldn't be saying how pitiful she is yeah, right. uh but you see this whole thing of her trying to live in this purely like deeply encultured way that isn't natural to her at all but that she's adopted and and that it is more or less the customs that we grew up in right yes and you you see it put on a robot in its entirety and it's like oh my gosh that's yeah. first off that's a horrible burden yeah. for her to to she more or less put it on herself but she felt the need to put it on herself right. you know and it, it uh it's kind of scary right yeah and and I guess it's pitiful. It's some, just pitiful. Well, what you just said, even because you're yeah. like, well, if she had, let's say, she had won John Paul's affection, I think it still is. Yeah. Because the 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 only thing that validates her is the affection of this man, mm, not sure. what she goes out and creates herself. Hmm. And this is the difference between a lot of men and women. And again, a lot of the women I've I've observed in my life, they feel like their self worth is wrapped up in, can I find a man and get married? Not in, I'm going to be the best filmmaker or I'm going to write this world. awesome story yeah, yeah. or I'm going to go out there and design this new uh, piece of technology that's going to change people's lives. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's so many women that their minds aren't even there at all. Right. And, and Simone's mind is totally obsessed with the affection of Jean-Paul, well, not with what she can go out and create and do and become yeah. as an individual with her, with her acting with her agency um, without the need for another's affection. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and that's another thing I noticed too with, with other people, uh, with other women in my life is I always sort of defined my own success or uh, my own self-worth based on what I was accomplishing. I, I kind of have a problem with the need to like finish and accomplish things. And I, I get real, mm -hmm. almost like I get real flustered and frustrated and, and anxious when there are projects left unfinished. Uh, I, I love accomplishing and doing and, and growing and becoming better at skills or, or, or in learning things. And I was noticing these other women in my life or other girls in my life who they defined their self-worth in a totally different way. And it was not dependent on what they Right, it was dependent on others. It was on what an other yeah. person, and that I think was huge for me to realize is that that's a horrible burden to carry and puts you at a huge disadvantage, I feel. So that's what was going on with this character. Gotcha. Is that it? No, yeah, I think, I think we can do another episode, you guys. Yeah. All right, we're going to sign off here, and we are going to do another episode to finish off uh, Route B. And Route so B. that's what you can expect next you gotta week. got to get there. Um, thanks for watching. We'll see you again next week. Peace out.